yeah, if you've got your Bibles open, stick with a passage or on your phone, whatever, that'd be great to have it open. If you're a slave, you're living in a bustling city. You've been up since the crack of dawn. The market stalls are packing up and preparing for another day. Major trade routes that link Asia and Europe run close by, and the city never seems to stop. It's endless hustle and bustle. You're thankful for the breeze to soften the heat of the sun. You feel the drops of sweat on your neck soaking your tunic as you walk. You're walking through the crowded streets, and everything around you, the sights, the sounds, the smells, remind you of Rome. Wherever you turn, there's displays of worship to Caesar. And up until recently, you pledged unswerving loyalty to him. But now another king has captured your heart. Another king has captured your heart. This is Philippi, northern Greece, AD 61, a thousand miles from Rome. You arrive at a grand-looking house owned by a wealthy businesswoman, and you're welcomed into Lydia's home. This is your weekly routine. Here you meet to pray, to sing, to read the Jewish scriptures and share a meal. Today is different. Today, a letter has arrived from Paul. And you've heard all the tales about him planting churches across the empire, defying the emperor and his visits to, to Philippi. There's excitement in the room as his letter is opened and read. The content is both encouraging and explosive. The words are tantamount to treason. Now imagine you're a Christian in 2023 in North Korea, and your experience is strikingly similar, or dare I say, even worse. North Korea is the riskiest place, the most dangerous place on earth to be a Christian. At Open Doors, we produce something called the World Watch List. It's like the league table of the most costly places to be a Christian. And North Korea tops that list. And there are brave Christians today risking their lives, their freedom to share the gospel, to help disciple North Korean Christians. And North Korean Christians themselves risk their freedom and their lives to encounter Jesus, to actually go the distance in living out their faith. Sister Jay and Rebecca are two women who are absolute heroes. They're open doors field workers right on the front line, secret workers working amongst North Korean refugees in China. They and the women that they gather to do discipleship with, to do Bible study with, are risking everything to, to gather and meet. But like the church in Philippi and like Paul, they have discovered that Jesus is worth everything. Jesus is worth the cost, the price that they might pay. Sister Jay says this, as she shares the gospel with these women, and as the women discover Jesus, she says this, at first they laugh at the gospel. At first they laugh at the gospel, but, but then they end up being transformed by it. What a beautiful phrase. They laugh at the gospel, but then they get transformed by it, by Jesus, the one who is worth everything. And Sister Rebecca, who also does this work of discipleship, she always kind of has to travel quite a long distance to go and do these secret discipleship gatherings. And she says, I go by a different car, taxi every time. I go a different route, a different way. And I know there's spies in the gatherings. Imagine that, meeting with spies in the gatherings. But she said, I'd go even for the one, even for the one. 
and I even go for the spy, whatever the cost, whatever the cost. And tonight, as you meet in relative comfort here in Lancaster, the word that I want to bring to you, really two thoughts from this passage in Philippians 1 from Paul. It was something that he was just exhorting and challenging and inspiring those early Christians in Philippi about, and it's still so relevant for us today in the 21st century. Two things, our partnership in the gospel, our partnership in the gospel and the power of testimony. Partnership in the gospel and the power of testimony. And if Sister Jay and Rebecca are with you tonight, they would be thanking you from the bottom of their hearts for praying, for standing alongside the church around the world facing the most extreme persecution. Bit of context, Hopefully all of you have read the book of Acts. Acts 16 tells the story, the backstory of how the church was kick-started in Philippi. It's the first church that Paul plants on European soil. And he has a strong connection, affection with that church in Philippi. This is about 12 years on now as we're reading in Philippians chapter 1. And just look at those verses that we read together for a moment. You just see this, this bond that they had, this connection, this oneness, togetherness that they had. And it all centers around Jesus, doesn't it? For Paul, it was nothing more, nothing less. It was all about Jesus, completely encapsulated his whole life, his prime motivation. So verse 3 says, I thank my God whenever I remember you. There's gratitude expressed for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. In verse 4, he says, I pray for you with joy. Like they made the Apostle Paul's prayer list. How cool is that? They made the prayer list. There's a challenge there to us locally and globally, how we express our oneness, our togetherness as Christians. It's a challenge, isn't it, to love each other in the local church and to love each other as global church as well. Will the persecuted church make it on your prayer list after tonight? That's a challenge to you. Verse 5, Paul goes on to talk about the partnership in the gospel. And, And the church in Philippi, it, it was a two-way connection. Partnership is, is, involves two sides, doesn't it? It can't just be one way. And for Paul, he loved that church in Philippi. They were so close to his heart. But they also loved him back. They prayed for him as well. And they also supported him financially. They stood alongside. They took action on his behalf. Later on, we find out in Philippians 4 that they, they, they materially gave to him financially. They sent Epaphroditus, one of their own, to go and stand, to almost have that presence ministry with Paul whilst he's in prison, writing this letter in Rome, over a thousand miles away. And the challenge to us too is, when we think about the global church, are we willing to make this a two-way connection? And it is two-way, and when we hear about the power of testimony, you'll be blown away, hopefully, by some of the stories, the testimonies of Jesus at work in this world. But the challenge to us is to use our freedom, to make the most of our freedom, to make it really meaningful and significant in standing alongside the persecuted church, to pray for them, to support them financially. And you can do that with open doors. And if tonight you feel prompted, come and see me, and I'll tell you how you can give regularly to support the work right in the front line of faith, strengthening and advancing the kingdom of God. And you can take action. We have advocacy campaigns where you can speak up on behalf of the persecuted church and make the most of your freedom to stand together with your brothers and sisters around the world. 
And then verse 7 is kind of like where it all, all comes together, really. The reason why Paul encourages us to be partners in the gospel is because we partake, we share in God's grace, don't we? It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he has done, his death and resurrection that binds us, that unites us in the most powerful way possible. And then verse 8, he says, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He loved them as Christ loves the church. That's a powerful statement, that depth of compassion and affection for them. So this theme of partnership in the gospel is absolutely massive for Paul. And it's meant to be still massive and huge for us today as believers, like I say, locally and expressed globally as well. And you know what? It's something that persecuted Christians hold on to with every fiber, every shred of their being. They fully grasp what Paul got as well. My friend Tiram works for Open Doors Partners in northern Nigeria. Nigeria is number six on our world watch list. And if the world watch list was just purely scored on the basis of violent atrocities, Nigeria would probably top the list, such as the scale of violence in the northern part of Nigeria. It's in the news this weekend. There were elections yesterday in that country. And Tiram is part of the trauma counselling team that we have. So much violence, you can imagine all the trauma that Christians are going through. Women, widowed, kidnapped attack pastors witnessing all sorts of absolute horrors in their country but they get the full depth of what it means to be partners in the gospel the oneness the togetherness the fact that we're family we're part of this incredible thing called the body of Christ Tiram says this every Christian is sitting on a landmine in Nigeria nowhere is safe without Jesus and she said to me, she said, Emma, we in Nigeria in the persecuted church, we're like the injured foot. It's bleeding and the wound is open. But when you come alongside churches like St. T's, people like you, brothers and sisters, when you come alongside in prayer and support, it's like you soothe the pain. You take care of the wound. They feel it. They feel the impact of your prayers and your support. Your partnership matters. Tiram, if, if she was here tonight, she would tell you what it means, the depth of what it means to partner with Jesus and to partner with you as, as they share in Christ's suffering. We're united. We're bound to each other in the most powerful way possible. We partake in fellowship with Jesus and each other. Today, around the world, we estimate open doors that at least 15 Christians will have been killed for their faith. Some countries, it's just completely difficult to track the data like North Korea and Afghanistan, those kind of places. But where we can track the data, we've, we've worked out on average 15 Christians will lose their lives today for their faith. And the majority of them are in Nigeria. And actually that extreme violence and persecution is being exported to other parts of West Africa. It's sobering, isn't it? It should make us feel pretty sober today. The fact that our brothers and sisters are being killed for their faith. You know, Paul reminds the church in Philippi as he writes in the epicenter of the Roman Empire, Rome itself, that as Christians, we have a much higher calling on our life, more than being a Roman citizen or being British. The calling is this, that we have an allegiance, a loyalty to, to the king, king of heaven. We're, we're part of the, the, a, a greater kingdom, aren't we? And we have this allegiance one to another as well. And what a great thing that we're part of an empire, a kingdom that will never be conquered, demise or fade. 
And we get to partner in building and seeing this kingdom stretch and expand across the world. And suffering persecution is one of the ways in which God, you know, mysteriously uses to grow his church and to make this happen. A few months ago, I was with one of our field workers from Central Asia, a country that's a breeding ground for terrorists, a country where Christians have to meet in secret, very much undercover and driven underground. And she said this, she said, Emma, we are willing participants in extending and advancing the kingdom of God in our world, in our country. We want to see his kingdom come and we want to see the church, the persecuted church, alive and active and growing. It really sums up what we do at Open Doors and what we invite you to be a part of if you know and love the Lord Jesus. The call on each of us is to partner in the gospel locally and globally. And tonight we invite you to stand with your brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, to remember them, to not forget them, to ensure this vision that no Christian should suffer alone is, is fully materialized and we see in our world today. Your partnership is vital. Sister Rebecca from um, North, northern China working with North Korean refugees says this. She says, your prayer is essential. Like We can't underestimate the value of our partnership, of our standing together. And right now, Open Doors secret workers are keeping something like 80,000 North Korean believers alive with food and aid and also discipleship, helping them to not just stay alive, but also to, to, to be bringers of the good news in their own context as well. And so many of the women that are discipled by Sister Jane, Rebecca, actually have this hope to go back to North Korea and take the good news of Jesus to their country and bring change from the inside out. We can't do any of this vital work without churches like yours standing alongside, without you putting the persecuted church on your prayer list, being willing to take action to give where you can. Partnership in the gospel is so, so needed. You are absolutely essential in playing your part in, in seeing the kingdom of God stretch and advance around the world. So the, power, the, the, the partnership in the gospel is absolutely vital. Then the second thing, it's a bit of a whistle-stop tool, second thing is the power of testimony. The power of testimony. I hope you've got uh, maybe a slide that shows the map that's over here in the far corner. And this map that you might see on your screen, if not, just come and look at the map later on here on the floor, is, is the World Watch List. And it shows like the 50 most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian. So they're, they're sort of marked there in red and orange. A few years back, we also had yellow countries appearing in the top 50. But persecution has escalated so much in recent years that these countries are just showing extreme levels of persecution as, as what is impacting the church. So there's a reality. The cost of following Jesus is hugely sobering and grim. But for me, when I look at that map, Yes, on one side, I see suffering, but I also see the glory. I see the hope. I see the fact that there are Christians willing to live and die for Jesus, willing to love Jesus no matter what. And that example, really, of the light shining in the darkness. We've got these little battery-powered tea lights here, little symbol of the lights shining in the darkness. There are over 360 million Christians facing extreme persecution right now for their faith. 360 million lights shining in the darkness, showing that Jesus is, 
is, is worth everything to them. Their faith is the real deal. And they love him no matter the cost. In Paul's testimony that we read here in the passage, if you look at it, verse 12, we see the power of testimony. What do we see? We see two things. We see external advance and internal emboldening. External advance and internal emboldening. Very often at open doors, we kind of look at persecution and we just see that in many ways, persecution is like the engine, the motor for the gospel. There's a guy called Pastor Marcos from northern Nigeria. His whole village was absolutely um, torn to the ground by Islamic extremists. And in the aftermath of all that they went through, his church rebuilt, they reset and they began to come back and they were strengthened, they were refined in the midst of persecution. And he said, this persecution has been the fertilizer for the gospel in our community. Amazing. Against all the odds, in the midst of the cost and the suffering of it all, God is at work, the power of testimony. There's external advance and internal emboldening. In Paul's context here, he was chained to a Roman soldier 24-7 for a good period of time. And uh, knowing what we know, the Apostle Paul, I bet he absolutely loved it. He was like, yes, I've got a captive audience. I've got people nonstop to be name-dropping Jesus to. So he's there, chained to a Roman soldier. And, um, and we see an external advance in the face of opposition against all the odds. Now, the Greek, I'm not a Greek scholar, and there may be a Greek scholar in the building, so I have to be careful here. But I think the Greek word for advance kind of conjures up that word picture of like an army on an expedition, making progress, absolutely on a mission, focused. No one's going to stop an army on an expedition. They are advancing. They're clearing away vegetation, whatever is in their path. They're going to advance. And that is the word for advance here in this passage. There is an advance for the gospel in the midst of persecution, in the midst of cost. We see that Jesus is at work when we're faithfully living for him, no matter what. And Paul's conviction of the truth of the gospel in Jesus seemed to spread throughout the whole palace guard. We read it in the text. He says, verse 13, I am in chains for Christ. And remarkably, those chains served to advance the gospel in the face of persecution. That's the power of testimony right there. And we see it time and time again right now in our world today, the power of testimony Paul is in chains, yet his imprisonment opened the door to new opportunities for the gospel not to be simply shared, but to advance, to actually change lives. A guy called Mishtaba, um, who's a friend of ours at Open Doors, when he was about 20 years old, he's from Iran originally, he was arrested and, and put in prison, faced many times he was interrogation, interrogated, so faced so much torture. Iran is number eight on the Open Doors World Watch list. And over the course of time, he spent about three years in prison for his faith, something like 22 days in solitary confinement. And he describes a day in solitary confinement is almost like worth the equivalent of about three or four days imprisonment, such is the psychological, mental, physical pressure that you put under in those situations. So he was often blindfolded beaten, tortured. These were painful times for him. It wasn't just glory, it was suffering. Let's just be real about this. Absolutely suffering for his faith in Jesus. And when he was at his lowest moments, he would cast his mind back to the cross, to Calvary, and all that Jesus did for him. 
And amazingly, the Holy Spirit would just minister him and strengthen him in those times. And in the end, Mustafa went on a journey with Jesus. That's what he says himself. He went on a journey with Jesus in prison. And he discovered that God was at work and that God could be at work changing lives, even behind bars. Because we see an external advance. Nothing, no one can stop the mission of God. So Mustafa made friends with an imam, a Muslim leader that would come to the prison. And uh, over time, Mustafa said to the imam, would you bring me a Bible in, into the prison? I don't have one. And so the imam just laughed. He's like, Mustafa, what are you crazy? It's easier to smuggle in drugs into the prison than bring you a Bible, but I like you, so I'm going to see what I can do. And so over the course of time, this imam begins to smuggle in snippets of the Bible, little chapters of the Bible into prison. And what Mustafa does is write out the passages or notes scraps of notepaper, toilet roll, whatever he can find. And then he in turn smuggles the bits of the Bibles that were originally English into Farsi, translated into Farsi. And they get traveling around this prison and lives are changed. People in the prison come to faith in Jesus. And it all kind of gets kickstarted by a, a Muslim imam. Isn't that amazing? Against all the odds, we see the gospel advance. We see the gospel advance. Mustafa said this, persecution can take the gospel to the places where nothing else can. Persecution can take the gospel to the places where nothing else can. That is the power of testimony. God is at work. Nothing can stop him. There are no closed doors to God in our world. External advance. But we also see internal emboldening. So for Paul, as he's writing and sharing this testimony to the believers in Philippi, I'm sure it stirred their hearts. It encouraged them that God was active and at work right there in the epicenter of the Roman Empire. But what does Paul say that happens to the local believers in Rome? He says this, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of of God more courageously and fearlessly. They're emboldened. They become braver in sharing and living for Jesus. Persecution really can be the engine, the motor for the gospel. And I think too in our own lives, as we hear stories of Christians around the world who are persecuted, may it be like an engine, a motor, a fertilizer, using Pastor Marcos's term in northern Nigeria, for our own faith, for our own walk with Jesus to be fired up, like a fuel for us to actually love Jesus more and live more like Jesus in our context, wherever he's placed you, whether you're on campus at Lancaster University or, or whatever, or you're in the workplace, in your family settings. We want to bring more of heaven to earth, don't we? We want to see the kingdom of God extend and advance right where we are too. And that's why I love connecting with the persecuted church. Their stories inspire courage in me, encourage me to be a bit braver and bolder for Jesus. Last week when I was in North Africa, we heard some amazing stories of brave pastors just living for Christ, being willing to plant secret churches. Absolutely amazing. Stories of young people giving their lives to Christ, knowing the cost, knowing that they were being rejected by their earthly families. Met this one woman who basically opens up her home to take in the waifs and strays, the rejected. It's like a Acts 2 church. Seeing it in action was just amazing. But on the way back, the team that I was with, one of them uh, from London, she's like, Emma, 
I really feel I want to say something on the airplane. And I was like, oh, okay, let's see where this is going to go. But I think she just felt so inspired and emboldened from some of the stories and encounters that we had in our trip in North Africa. She, she basically got up as the plane landed at Gatwick and just stood up and, just, and said, ladies and gents, I've got something to tell you. And she basically told them about the love of God just for a couple of seconds, really, a few seconds. And I was like slightly bricking it, to be honest with you. I was like, oh my goodness, they're going to like shout at her, say something back. But you know what? No one laughed. No one sneered. And I actually saw people deeply moved by the fact that they were told that God loves them and knows them and wants to have a relationship with them. It was an absolutely beautiful thing to see. Persecution cost The power of testimony can lead to gospel advancing externally, but also we see that internal emboldening. And I don't know about you, I want to be someone who is braver for Jesus. I want to be someone that leads people to Jesus. I want to be someone that is faithful to Jesus, no matter the cost. I want to keep going. As we come to land, let's just remember tonight, we're called to be partners in the gospel. We're family We're brothers and sisters. We're called to have allegiance to the King of Kings. We're also called to have allegiance to one another as family. And we're also called to be part of this story of the kingdom of God, the story that God is writing in this world, that we actually partake and and share in the story, the testament that God is writing. And I'd love to encourage you tonight to partner with what God is doing in this world, to pray for the persecuted church, put them on your prayer list, but get specific prayer requests. And that's where Open Doors comes in. We can give you specific things to pray for. If you're on social media, follow us at Open Doors UK. Get the most up-to-date stuff to pray into. As a church, pray for the persecuted church. Stand alongside them. Pray that they will be emboldened to stay strong, to keep faithful and to share Jesus in their own context because we want the church to grow, don't we? We want to see this external advance in the face of extreme opposition. And like our brothers and sisters in North Korea would say to you tonight, Sister Jay says this, we're like a team. We're like a team. Without your support and prayers, we cannot do anything. So do partner with us, your brothers and sisters, in advancing the gospel around the world. And then maybe also tonight as we respond, take a moment to pray for yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to equip you, to help you stand strong, to help you be braver, to help you follow him faithfully, no matter what. Increasingly, perhaps we feel like we're swimming against the tide as Christians here in this country. But do you know what? We've got brothers and sisters around the world who are swimming against the torrent, and they show us what it's like to be faithful to Jesus, to follow him, no matter the cost. And we're called to do the same. We're called to stand for Jesus and stand together. Let's, uh, let's take a moment to pray. I'm going to hand back to, to Matt and Ali, and then we're going to sing as well. And do encourage you, if you want to, yeah, fill out one of those. If you feel tonight you really want to stand alongside the persecuted church, fill out one of those cards. Come and see me um, afterwards. And uh, just to say, as a way of thank you, we send you this amazing book, God Smuggler. It's a book that I read when I was 18, um, whilst at university actually, changed my life and really helped me to discover more of Jesus and more of what God is doing in this world. Thanks.